You're listening to What the History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hey, nerds. Welcome back to another episode of What the History. This is Casey and Sarah, and we are suddenly finding ourselves in the last two months of the year, which has been one hell of a year. Um, Happy first day of Christmas, though. Yes, it is the first day of Christmas. Um, Only 60, what, 55 more days to go. It's fine. Every day through the end of the year is Christmas. Basically, yeah. Which is interesting because I've always been the person that, like, I love Christmas, but I can't start thinking about Christmas until, like, the weekend of Thanksgiving. So. Oh, yeah. No, I'm all. In, like, July, I'm like, man, I wish it was Christmas right now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I just love Halloween and like yesterday was uh, Halloween and uh, yeah, I respect Halloween, but the way it works is so September 1st to October 31st is Halloween. Yes. And then November 1st to Thanksgiving is Christmas and then Thanksgiving <laughs> is Thanksgiving and then the day after Thanksgiving till January 1st is also Christmas. So do you like listen to Christmas music and stuff or do you just like decorate and start getting in like the I listened to Christmas movie. music 2 days ago. Oh my god! <laughs> I have a problem. Oh, that's crazy. Well, what okay. happened was it was the first like really cold day we had, and oh, that yeah. always puts me in the mood for Christmas music. So I had to listen. Well, to like, Christmas. what's cold by you? Oh, it was like in the low fifties. Okay, all right. It, it will get colder. Fair. It will get colder. Like I think the low today is actually in the the low tomorrow's in the thirties. Oh, wow. um, okay. But it was just like the coldest day we had had so far. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we are talking about something that's kind of seasonal. Uh, yeah. This week. So this is actually going to be our first two-parter episode, Woo. mostly because there is like so much information out there, and I wanted to make sure I did both parts of this justice. So yeah. the irony is that there's also two parts of this same topic for me as well. So um, <laughs> Sarah mentioned a couple of weeks ago that um, I got married, which I did. So I got married on October 10th. And we decided that it would be really cool to do the history of weddings because, yeah. like, damn, they have changed pretty significantly and then in some ways not at all, which right. I think is really interesting. So, it will also um, be fun because I'm, like, paranoid I'm going to become offensive at some point because I'm so crotchety and I'm like, I don't know. What's the <laughs> point of this? Like, <laughs> yeah. No, um, I totally understand. And I'm just not – like, I've literally always had a problem where, you know, the, like, 50% statistic, like, 50% end in divorce. Yes. I'm yes. literally always, like, only 50? Really? I know. Well, yeah. <laughs> I got to tell you, like, before I even get into anything wedding-related, like, everyone knows this year has been a dumpster fire, and it's just been, like, it's, like, a whole other added stress. And I know I'll be talking about this at some point throughout this, like, my segments, but, like planning a wedding is really hard and planning a wedding in a pandemic is damn near impossible because it's like you have this like vision in your head of what you want things to look like. But then also you're like, but we need to wear masks and socially distance and I have to provide hand sanitizer. And it's like, you're doing shit that you never thought you'd have to do. But at the same time, and I'm, I'm sure you'll talk about this when you, when you talk about like wedding industry stuff, but this was like my wedding in my backyard was better than I probably could have ever anticipated. Yeah. And, and I have a like, little section about like coronavirus weddings too. Oh, perfect. And, okay, like cool. how it might change the industry in the future. I 
I absolutely will have something to say about that because I'm sure it yeah. will. Because as having experienced it, like I joked when we were texting earlier, like this is our wedding part one episode and wedding part two episode will be next time. And like I have wedding part one because we just did like yeah. people in my backyard. And then next year we're supposed to have like the wedding part two on our one year anniversary. So it's it's a lot. <laughs> and looking at this, I was like, so triggered. I was like, Oh God, I remember doing this. Like, <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, um, I will stop beating around the bush and I'm gonna get right into it. Okay. Um, so the first part of wedding part one is really going to focus mostly on Western and European like wedding history. Um, because there's just so much that changes and because it's so closely related to how we do things in the United States that I figured, it's a better way to split it. And then wedding part two, next time we'll talk more about like global traditions and things like that. Cause I didn't want to yeah. give you a three hour episode. Right. But also I wanted to make sure I did other cultures justice because their yeah. traditions are cool as hell. So, all right, here we go. Weddings are defined as being quote, a ceremony where two people are united in marriage. So <laughs> boom, knowledge for you. If you didn't know that what the fuck is that was. a wedding, the end. Um, and that's our episode, folks. Thanks for listening. <laughs> so the traditions and customs in weddings vary significantly between cultures, ethnic groups, social classes, countries. Again, that's literally why we decided to do a two-parter because what happens in Western weddings can be totally different from what happens in we uh, weddings like elsewhere. So most ceremonies involve some pretty core events, such as the exchange of marriage vows, the presentation of a gift like rings, an offering, a symbolic item, flowers, money, etc. There's always some kind of public proclamation of the official marriage as well by like an authority figure, quote unquote. So that could be a minister. It could be just like, I now pronounce you husband and wife kind of thing. Like that is like right. a, a proclamation. Yeah. Like Mr. Um, and Mrs. Blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Also, ew, sorry um, in advance for all the heteronormativity, but everything you read about weddings is about straight people. It really, really is. Yeah, it's and I actually, you know, what's interesting is I realized as I was doing this research, there's a difference between wedding and marriage. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so in this, we're just talking about like weddings as celebrations the marriage parts of it are like i mean we could probably do a different episode yeah, i thought very, about very different. that because it's yeah it's a completely different thing yeah exactly so this is strictly just like the celebration of the marriage right. if i have to go back quote a ceremony where two people are united <laughs> in marriage <laughs> that's what we're talking about today all right so ancient times we're going into the way 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 back machine so there really actually wasn't a lot of information about the wedding ceremonies themselves. There was actually a lot more of just like random fun facts that have a pretty basic basis in history. And like, I don't know if it's like a lore at this point or if it's just sort of like, I don't know, some archaeologists saw this and this is kind of what the yeah. expectation has been. So I kind of just picked and like chose a couple different things that I thought was really interesting um, and kind of funny. And you're probably going to notice some kind of a trend in what I chose. So okay. one fun thing I found was that bridesmaids wore similar dresses to the bride in ancient Rome in order to trick demons and evil spirits, as well as confuse the bride's former lovers, which is hilarious. I like that so they like were today, allowed to have former lovers. I know, right? That's what I was thinking too. I was like, well, that's progressive. But I think it's funny how we talk about how like the last thing that you would want to do is wear like 
white at a wedding, right? Like the, yeah. the bride's wearing, but actually in a lot of the ancient cultures, like the bridesmaids looked almost identical to the bride as a way okay. to like trick. So like if a demon or an evil spirit was going to like possess somebody, it wouldn't know which was the real bride. So that's like a okay. heavy job. Like being a bridesmaid now is a lot, but like, damn, yeah. your soul that your soul feels like, like at a, risk. It feels like a charmed episode or something. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. On that same vein, bouquets of flowers were actually bouquets of herbs in ancient Greek weddings uh, in order to ward off evil spirits. And I thought this was interesting and kind of awful. Honeymoons were supposedly ways for the groom to take the bride and hide her away for a month or so in order to prevent her family from coming after her, question mark. Which is, there's a lot of yikes and problematic moments within this Uh entire uh segment. The bride's ring traditionally symbolized ownership, also gross, in ancient Roman Greek. And this was actually something I thought was beautiful and also like a little like you know we're talking like very sexist very like you know women are owned like owned by people so on the morning of a wedding day of a bride the bride was dressed by her mother and in ancient rome the most important part of her wedding dress was a belt that her mother tied around her waist in what was called the knot of hercules and hercules was considered to be the guardian of wedded life and only the husband could untie this knot so i guess it was like I thought it was actually a little less creepy than the whole, like, virginity thing. Yeah, it is. And I thought it was, like, more symbolic. Like, this is the last thing that a mother does for her daughter before I was going to say, I married. like at least the mother ties it, not the father. Because I feel like yes. so much is this weird, like, the father is bestowing her upon the husband. So at right, least it's right. the mother. Which Women we'll can own people, too. Some, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're all equal equal rights. We deserve to own people. My God, could you imagine? Like, but seriously, I think about that sometimes, like, how different the world would be if women ran it. Oh, yeah. I feel like there'd be so much less shit, but I digress. So after the dinner party in ancient Rome, the bride was typically escorted to her husband's house, and this ceremony was, like, essential in completing the marriage. Um, And anyone could join the procession, and a lot of people did just for fun. This was, like, I had feelings about this, so (laughs) I just made a noise. Um, The mother held her daughter, and the groom would take his bride and pretend to forcefully take the bride from her mother's arms. Which was gross. But here's what's weird. Before they entered the new home, the bride had to recite a consent chant. Like, so there's this weird juxtaposition between the bride had to consent, like had to publicly be like, yes, I'm marrying this person. Right. But there was also this air of like, I'm being taken. Yeah. Like Like I'm consenting to being taken. Yes. So it was like, Hmm. you know, and again, we, we, use, I use the word consent here because that's what they use, but I do yeah. definitely think that that's not necessarily the, the truth of it. Right. Like the daughter couldn't be like, no father, I don't consent to marrying this right. man. Like what the fuck are you going to do? You know what I mean? Um, then so the yeah, evil spirits so, are going to come get you. R- right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's like really all I could really find for ancient times. And I'm sure when we get into this next week, we'll talk a little bit more about like ancient Chinese traditions and stuff, but that's pretty much all I got for quote unquote Western Civ. Then we get into the middle ages. So this is actually something that I always bring up whenever people argue about um, like gay marriage and whether or not it's okay in the church. So before 1100 AD, most marriages had literally no religious ceremony connected to them whatsoever. Like there was no God, there was no 
priest. There was nothing. There was a public okay. announcement and a kiss, and any formal ceremonies were held over like a local blacksmith's anvil where they forged the rings, which sounds pretty fucking badass, honestly. I kind of wish Eric and I had done that. Yeah. Um, just like got a guy who does like old blacksmith stuff and be like, yo, forge these rings. Like, I don't know, Lord of the Rings or something. So it was in 1076 that the Council of Westminster in London decided, quote, further, it was laid down that no man should give his daughter or female relative to anyone without priestly blessing. If he does otherwise, it should not be adjudged by a proper marriage, but like the union of fornicators. We forbid in every way substitutes for churches, quote. So, of course, my go-to was LOL fornicators because... Damn. But it really wasn't until this declaration that there started to be any type of involvement in the church. And actually, from what I remember reading and researching when I studied abroad in um, Italy, the church got involved with marriages because they started to become acts of public record. And the only people who could read or write were priests. Okay. That at least makes Even sense. like members of like the nobility couldn't typically read and write into the same level. So... I feel like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So the church basically undertook the whole marriage thing, and then it started to become like a sacrament, and then it just kind of got bigger and bigger. And remember, we're talking about the Catholic Church, so Christian, like, denominations are going to kind of be along the same vein as this, but they're going to definitely alter some of their practices compared to what the Catholics have. Um, so a wedding was really actually just a nice feast in the Middle Ages. Um, there weren't necessarily decorations or special outfits unless the couple was super wealthy, in which case, like, they got new or matching outfits, which <laughs> I thought was, like, awesome as well. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine I like being in, like, a matching bride and groom outfit. I love it. Um, there was no specific focus on colors that needed to be worn. So, like, today, brides will be like, what's your colors? And, like... Yeah, I got to say, like, as a as a bride and as a I I guess I don't judge women who have these like grandiose beliefs and things that they want in their wedding. But like the whole time that I was planning and I have been continuing to plan, I felt so unprepared. Yeah. Like, what do you mean you haven't been thinking about this your entire life? Like, like when I went dress shopping, they were like, so what do you envision yourself in? And I was like, I don't fucking know like a dress dress. that's white (laughs) right like that's there should maybe be a veil like that's it i'm like that's all i've got is a dress because i have no interest in a wedding but i would like a fancy dress yeah and i can tell you how that should look (laughs) right right but like to me i'm like i can't like they're like oh so what colors are you doing yeah what's your theme like i don't what theme the theme is wedding right the theme is i'm getting married wedding Yes, the theme is we're getting married and you're going to be there and there's going to be dancing and cake and booze. So, like, that's the theme. Yeah. But that's a whole other thing. But I, which is why I kind of liked the Middle Ages one. There was really no, like, emphasis on anything. It was like, show up and let's have a feast. The bride typically wore blue, which was also a color of purity at the time. Gross. Um, And we'll talk about the whole white wedding dress thing when we get to the Victorian era. Um, This was super nasty. Uh, (laughs) So brides often had a beauty regime that could consist of a hot bath, followed by being pampered with perfume and oil if you were wealthy. If you were poor, you just got perfume. And that was pretty much it. So actually... When I talked about the whole brides carrying um, flowers, they actually carried flowers, but also strongly scented herbs or potpourri mm-hmm. because they smelled bad. But because everyone smelled bad, 
it wasn't like that big of a deal. It wasn't like everybody smelled okay. and the bride smelled like shit. It was it just was like just a bad like, general scent. Yes. So they're like, well, we can make this a little better by putting a bush, like bushel of herbs in her hand. And like now, now she smells a little less terrible. Um, okay. There's also a belief too that people took their, oh God, I can't believe I'm going to say this, yearly baths in May. And so a lot of weddings took place in June when people were like clean. So that was like, women would typically lighten their hair by putting urine Mm. in it and then um, soaking it in like, not soaking it in urine, but they would like, I I guess maybe they would soak it in urine. I don't know, but they would lay out in the sun afterward and it would like lighten their hair. So beauty hack ladies, you want to spend some, you want to save some money going to (laughs) the salon, like just, just pee in your hair. Just pee in your hair. Exactly. (laughs) And then they would paint their faces with cosmetics. And sometimes they would even pluck their hairlines because it was super in to have a very large forehead. Sure. Um, It's what they were showing. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they were showing. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty nasty. But yeah, I don't I don't love that. Yeah. The people who took part in a wedding ceremony were also really different in medieval times. So some of these stem from the more ancient traditions of marriage by capture, which actually still happens. And I straight up can't fucking fathom that. So we're going to just move on from that. Maybe we'll bring that up next episode. But basically, like the bride and the groom technically weren't always like willingly getting married. It was just like a business transaction a lot of times. So there was always this like imminent threat that something would go wrong at the wedding and that it wouldn't happen. So all of these like roles actually were in order to make sure that the wedding took place. So first off, the best man, the best man back then was not the groom's closest friend or relative, but actually was the best swordsman that they could afford to hire. <laughs> so basically, you think that's why it's was, called the best man? Yes. Yes. That's exactly why it is. Because okay. it's like the best swordsman. So basically like this jabroni's job was to just stand there and make sure that the wedding went on smoothly. And if anybody came to like capture the bride, he could like fight them off, which like I can only imagine like what the fuck that would look like. And also how often did that really happen? Like, did it really happen enough? I hope so. I know it it feels very like princess bride-y. You know what I mean? Yes. That's exactly what I was picturing. Yes. So that was crazy. Um, the tradition of seeing a father walking his daughter down the aisle wasn't just the whole like, you know, giving your daughter away because it's a business transaction. It's actually also rooted in this like belief that he had to make sure that the bride made it down the aisle and like safely. And it wasn't always the father. Sometimes it was like a man from the husband's side that would like walk her down the aisle. Mm -hmm. Um, This continued into the 16th century when it was known as stealing the bride. Uh, So members of the wedding party had to be prepared at all times to protect the bride and groom and fight off the bride's family should they come protest the wedding or try to steal her back. So like it is. And I'm actually the origin of the like speak now or forever hold your peace. I think so. Yeah. I think once they start to make it a little bit, actually, I'm going to get into that a little bit later. There's something called crying of bands, which I, I don't understand where the fuck the name came from, but it's pretty much like that. So I'll kind of talk about that in a minute. But like for this, I'm just kind of picturing these like people in like evening wear, like with swords and shit, like ready to go at any second. You know what I mean? Yeah. The groomsmen were actually called the bride's knights like knights with a K 
And they were the ones responsible for assisting in the kidnapping and later keeping the wedding on track and free of interruptions in the case of like uh, a marriage by capture, which again, I couldn't really find how frequently that happened. But Uh, so that's really why the bride, like I said, always had somebody at her side until the ceremony was underway. And then the best man swordsman would move in on the right side of the groom and keep his weapon at the ready. So like all of these weddings just seemed really fucking intense. Yeah. (laughs) These are like dangerous weddings. High stakes all the time. Yeah. Like this shit, if you did like, um, a LARPing wedding, you know what I mean? Yeah. So after the ceremony, the best man would accompany the bride and groom back to their chambers and stand watch outside. Cool. I really didn't get too much into the whole wedding night consummation thing because honestly, yeah. everyone knows it. Right. Um, we get the point. Some, yeah. There are some weird things actually. So one of the things I saw is the garter toss, which is so gross. Yep. Um, and I will not be participating in it. I don't know if my parents know that by now, but like, I just think it's fucking weird. Nobody wants yeah. to see Eric take off my garter. With right, like with his teeth, teeth or whatever. <laughs> like, like, oh, God. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. Just like that gives me nightmares. So it's said to have originated in medieval France because there was a superstition that it was good luck to get a piece of the bride's wedding dress. So like guests would like gather after the ceremony and try to rip parts of the dress. And sometimes it would like torn up, be torn apart. And so the, they started to like toss pieces of it as well as the bouquet in order to distract the guests while the bride and groom made their getaway to their marriage chamber. And then the groom would throw the bride's garter into the crowd of guests outside because it was good luck to get the garter because it was a part of the dress kind of thing. Okay. So again, I didn't get too much into the wedding night thing. Cause like, um, yeah, no, we're good. So in terms of the way that weddings were paid for, because that's always a fun question to have mm-hmm. when you decide to get married, um, actually both families gave dowries in some sense. So the bride's dowry was typically the money that was used for the wedding ceremony and the feast, but the groom's money tended to be money for a home or support for them going forward in their life in their first few years or months together. Okay. I mean, so that makes sense that cool. in this framework. Agreed. Yeah. And, like, again, you didn't always necessarily, like, you know, trade your daughter for, like, three cows and a mule kind of thing. Right. It wasn't always like that. A lot of times it was just, like, you know, there wasn't even necessarily money exchanged, especially in, like, lower classes. It was pretty much just, like, the bride's father pays for this whole, like, ceremony and stuff. All right. So that is the Middle Ages. Then we get into the Elizabethan era. For, so that's basically the 1550s to the six, like early 1600s. And most of the practices are the same, um, but there's a few changes that are going to occur. So things that are the same is like you'd wear the same, like not the same clothing. <laughs> the same style. Clothing. Okay. Same style. Mm-hmm. So basically like if you had like, if you were a peasant and you had like two pairs of clothes, you'd wear your better pair of clothes, um, <laughs> which is so fascinating to me. Yep. Um, the bride and the family would provide a dowry or pay for the wedding. And then the portion of the marriage, um, that was like kind of more important, quote unquote, was like the husband who was expected to provide for the wife. The thing I found to be interesting is that in smaller villages where there wasn't really a lot of wealth and you didn't necessarily have like, like a manor house or anything, cause mm-hmm. we were at this point, the rule wasn't as strict and neighbors actually sometimes provided the feast, kind of like a potluck wedding. That's nice. I like that. Yeah. So it was similar to like a bridal shower in today's Yeah. And I, I thought this was really funny because when I was getting married a couple of weeks ago, my sister Danielle texted me and she was like, like, like a day or two before. And she's like, Hey, 
um, am I supposed to like bring something to the wedding? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I don't know. Is it like a potluck? Like, do I need to like bring food? And I was like, no, Danielle, no. Like, I'm, waiting. Like, I'm having it catered. She was like, oh, I didn't realize. That's <laughs> hilarious. But then I read this and I was like, oh my God, it happens. Yeah. I guess uh, like you could have a potluck wedding. Oh, totally. Honestly, you probably make it a lot easier. Yeah. I arrived late, which was like anxiety inducing, but it yeah, was, that's I, fair. I don't really give a shit. The wedding is like, we're married, whatever happens right. now, like circumstance. So if the bride was marrying somebody that her father didn't approve of, friends and neighbors actually would like step in and shower her with gifts before the wedding as a way to procure enough money for a dowry, which I thought was actually kind of cute and like a little sad. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it's like nice. Yeah. Um, there was also something I read about called bride ale. So in some places, the bride spent time selling ale in a courtyard. I don't know where she got the ale. I don't know what courtyard, but she would stand in the middle of a courtyard and sell ale. And the money that she raised was like used for the wedding. Okay. So people She's- like knew like, oh... Um, that's like a wedding fundraiser. Yeah. Like, Oh, Elizabeth is in the courtyard selling ale. Like that was like for her wedding to Charles or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I just thought it was interesting that like they kind of all knew. So the differences with Elizabethan weddings was that there was a much more formalized version of the announcements of the wedding. So before when you said like the whole, um, speak now or forever hold your peace, this is kind of the start of that. Okay. So it was something called the crying, the bands, and it was basically made in church three Sundays in a row. So it was literally like an announcement and the couple would basically stand up or their families would stand up and they'd be like, this couple intends to marry. And if something is going to prevent it, you need to tell us now. And then like they had to do this three Sundays in a row. Okay. If you married without doing this, it would be considered illegal. And if the couple was a part of two different church parishes, it had to be made in both churches. So like the groom and the bride both had to make this announcement in their own individual churches. But if you were in a hurry, which typically wasn't always the case, but like, let's say, you know, this is like a middle uh, Elizabethan shotgun wedding. You could be issued what's called a marriage bond and you had to go to a bishop for that. And the bishop only required you one week of crying the bands. So like, instead of having to do like a, a month long or three weeks of it, you could just do it one time and that was enough. Okay. So you got like a fast pass. Yes, exactly. Today is like intense. Like in New Jersey, you can't get a marriage license later than 72 hours before the wedding okay i think so it basically like we had to make sure that we got it because of course everything with corona is like a shit show as well yeah so we had to really time it perfectly it was like a nightmare flowers played a larger role in this era and the bridesmaids were responsible for creating bouquets and the flowers would go on the bride's head and they used really pungent smells in order to get rid of the odor that like covered up the lack of hygiene that people still had right and This was weird because it's so opposite today. Weddings took place in the mornings, typically before noon, and then there would be feasts that would follow. So I don't know if the feasts were like an all-day thing, but typically you got married way before like noon, and that probably was like daylight and stuff too. Yeah, true. Like you didn't have like, you know, access to all of this like electricity and lighting and stuff. Right. So the weirdest part, even more so than the Victorian era, was the Regency era. So... The Regency era was only what this is basically like I think of it as like Jane Austen shit like okay. that time frame. So it was like a 10 year period. That was it. It was only 10 years long, maybe only like even nine. But it saw pretty significant changes for wedding celebrations. 
So you still had stuff like the crying of bands. Weddings were still a mourning affair. But couples could now choose to obtain a common license from a bishop or archbishop, or they could obtain a special license from the archbishop. So it sounds like the same, but it's actually different. So sure, I believe you. Couple, <laughs> so if a couple got a common like, because I read it and I was like, how the fuck is that different? It sounds the exact yeah. same. It's a license. But if a couple obtained a common license, they had to be married in a church or a chapel where either the bride or groom had lived for four weeks. So you couldn't just okay. like show up and like, it couldn't be like a Vegas situation. Right? right. But if you got a special license, you could get married anytime and anywhere that you wanted. So it's Ooh. actually closer to like what you have today because yeah. in certain like townships, you actually have to get like permits for things to get married in places that aren't traditionally wedding venues. So like I have friends who want to get married on the beach and they have to get like a permit through the township in order to do that. Right. That makes sense. Um, Weddings during this time were smaller and more private than they had been previously, mostly between a clergyman, family, and maybe some close local friends. Celebrations were really simple, and the ceremony came from the Book of Common Prayer. So this was the traditional, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to join together this man and woman in holy matrimony, blah, blah, blah. That's where this really starts. So today, obviously, wedding ceremonies can be however you want them to be. You could do all of this, you could do none of this, and that's kind of what I think is really cool to see, like, how it's transitioned over time. Um, ours was very like traditional enough that all of our parents felt like a priest was marrying us, but yeah. like casual enough that Eric and I didn't feel like we were getting married by a priest. Cause we're not like overtly religious or anything. Yeah. I'm not at all. I'm like studying witchcraft right now. So that's where yep. I'm at. So <laughs> like, um, it was like a good thing for like all of the old folks in the group. Yeah. Um, the only thing at this point that the bride had any say in was choosing the day of the wedding. Like you could be like, I want my wedding on June 15th. Like okay. that was the only thing the bride got to decide on, which is like the least significant part of this whole process. Yeah. And today that hits a little differently because the bride typically does fucking everything. Yep. And you're spouse might get as like involved as they want. And, and Eric was great in some respects, but other times it was like, can somebody just please make this fucking decision for me? Because I right. straight up can't. Um, we also see the tra- uh, introduction of the tradition of wearing white wedding gowns only because though white was like actually a popular color. It mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean they were fancy or ornate, but they were simple. And typically they were kind of just like, this is what's in. And white was just like, what people thought looked good. It wasn't necessarily symbolic of anything. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It wasn't about like virginity. Correct. Right. And then now the Victorian era, it's going to be totally different. So 1830s, this is like a huge change for wedding celebrations. So it's kind of cool because like it kind of dips up and down. Like it seems very like big deal, not a big deal, big deal. So Victorian era, it's a big fucking deal. Like, (laughs) Weddings are more ornate and they're detailed and they're more personalized and colorful, but they're actually still pretty private. So obviously depending on the wealth too, like you would have your 200 closest friends, which would be considered private as opposed to like, you know, if you were maybe less wealthy, 
you would have like a smaller group. Um, but it wasn't like a whole village celebration like it had been in the Middle Ages. There was a lot more decoration. There was a lot more planning that came involved. And then we also have the wedding of Queen Victoria in 1840, which like sets off a whole level of shit, which is, I mean, the whole era is called the Victorian era. Right. Mostly because she ruled, but also because like pretty much anything that she did became like the thing to do. Yeah. So like her style of clothing, her mannerisms, like all of that stuff became like what other people should be doing in that time frame, which I think is pretty crazy. It is. I mean, that's usually with the Royals, like what ends up happening. I feel like. Yeah, definitely with weddings, but even just in everyday life, it was like, oh, yeah, is wearing a hoop skirt that's 12 feet wide. We're going to do that, too. Right. So, well, like, why is a thing that I know that Kate Middleton wears ballet slippers by Essie every day? It's a thing I know. That is. How do you know that? It's in like every magazine. It's like, do you want to wear the same nail polish color that Kate Middleton wears? It's ballet slippers by Essie. Oh, my God. I thought you meant she actually. Oh, my God. No, I'm so sorry. Essie is a nail polish brand. Did I ever tell you that I saw her in person? Yes, and I'm so jealous. It was crazy. She's literally stunning in person. Uh, Yes. Like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, the cameras don't even do you justice. And you look stunning in camera pictures. Like, my God. Camera pictures, I suppose. Like Camera pictures. Okay, so at this point in Victorian times, you have this whole use of flower and decor in weddings. And again, like, worst bride alert right here. I couldn't fucking care less about flowers like straight up Fair. like if i didn't have to worry about having a bouquet of flowers i wouldn't have fucking had a bouquet of flowers <laughs> but like to not have one is actually more like challenging because then you're yeah. like hey, what am i supposed to do with my hands? right what do you do with your hands then yeah Right, exactly. So over time, the floral decorations become even more elaborate. There was typically a carpet of flowers down the aisle that the bride was supposed to walk on that led up to the altar because, quote, it was believed that this ensured a happy path to life for the bride. Okay. Um, Servants and horses would be adorned in flowers to beautify the celebration, and roses were commonly used as they represented true love. Ushers were in charge of deck, <laughs> and every time I saw the word usher, I literally mm-hmm. just thought of Usher, the the, the music rapper. artist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like so just like a bunch of like ushers. Like at Good. Your wedding. Just all over the wedding. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like Usher one, Usher two. Yeah. Like, was Usher not know. at your wedding, Casey? <laughs> it was so weird. Every time I read it, I'm like, Usher, why is he there? And then I was like, oh no, wait. <laughs> That's, That's hilarious. Usher. Because we didn't have ushers. And even my mother-in-law was like, well, typically the ushers put the like the what is that fucking thing called? The aisle, the aisle runner down. And yeah. Like, usher. <laughs> usher. I'm not even like a huge usher fan, but no, I feel like I only know because I did theater a lot and like I volunteered as an usher in high school. So the word like does mean that to me, but if it wasn't something you used a lot, it would just feel like yeah. usher. I remember ushers in church and they were the ones that took your money. Like that's what I remember. Fair. Literally. That's all I remember about church is that there were old men who took your money. So actually it was pretty on par. (laughs) So ushers were in charge of decorating and preparing the wedding spaces. So either the church or their home and bridesmaids were in charge of the wedding favors. So it was kind of like DIY, but they had like, I don't know, the guests had quote, white ribbons, flowers, lace, and silver leaves pinned to their shoulders as you leave the ceremony. So from what I'm imagining is you have this long ass line of people who are waiting to get their shoulders pinned with DIY pins, which okay. seems interesting. It's a weird favor, but all right. Sure. Uh, we gave out hand sanitizer, so <laughs> cookies. <laughs> so 
Um, the doorways, fireplaces, and windows were decorated. And this is also the time when brides begin to throw their wedding bouquets more traditionally because, quote, Victorian ages or in Victorian ages, the bride originally tossed her bouquet to a friend as she left the festivities to keep that friend safe by warding off evil spirits, of course, and to Mm -hmm. offer her luck. So the luck was believed to help the bride's friend who caught the bouquet become the next one to get married, which is still, I think, like what it is today yeah that's still whoever catches it is like the next person to get married is yeah the, the but idea like, typically it's like the garter toss like the groom tosses the garter right. whoever catches the garter has to put the garter on the woman who catches the bouquet right that's right like that's what i've seen, I've seen that yeah i'm not a fan of that so like i ain't gonna do that no but it's it's weird don't do it so weird um <laughs> don't do it so this is also when white wedding dresses gain a lot of popularity because of Queen Victoria's wedding gown in 1840. Before she was married in white, white was typically like the wedding dresses worn by, I don't want to say poorer people, but like people of lower status because it was mm-hmm. supposedly like they had nothing to like offer <laughs> to okay. this matrimony, which is really depressing. Um, but also previous to that, the colors of wedding dresses were assigned based on the age of the bride. So this is where it gets icky. Cool. So, quote, the teenage brides wore pale green dresses, which were a sign of fertility. If the bride was in her 20s, <laughs> she would wear a brown dress. Ew. While older women wore black. So, like, what the fuck? I would. I just am imagining like a shit brown wedding dress because I'm 28 or 29. I don't even know how fucking old I am, and yeah. that's when I'm getting married. Like, yeah, that doesn't kidding? sound cute. No, not at all. It sounds gross. Ugh, it's awful. So after Queen V wore her white gown to her own wedding, it basically became the tradition for all brides to wear white, and that tradition is still really prevalent today. Yeah, which I saw um, she basically picked white because there was like lace, and you could see the lace if it was white, and so she was like, "I want that." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she actually picked it too because it was like just like a higher, like wealthy status. That lace was very wealthy. Yeah, and like it was just about like Which looking well. I can kind of see that in the sense of like if I think of wearing white, I'm scared I'm going to get it dirty, right? And yeah. so if I'm like a very wealthy person who doesn't have to work outside or labor or anything, then like yeah, yep. I can wear white and it's clean, but. Mm-hmm. If I'm a poor person who works outside or, like, has farm animals or that kind of thing, then I'm not going to wear white. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's. I think that's absolutely it. So it's interesting how once she did it, other brides started to do it. Not even just, like, wealthy ones, but ones that were of lower social status or poor or things like that. So yeah. really, you could have any type of material. Like, it could be super ornate. People had lace, people had cashmere, which I can't imagine those dresses. They honestly Ooh. probably were stunning, but it really just depended on the bride's wealth and their preference. This is also when we start to see accessories by the bride. So again, I, I don't know. That to me, it's like too much. <laughs> um, short white gloves, a handkerchief with your maiden name initials on it, which I actually thought was really cute. Yeah. Uh, embroidered silk stockings, flat shoes ornate with bows and ribbons. And in addition to that, you couldn't remove the veil until the end of the wedding, which I saw a lot of stuff, which was like basically saying this was rooted in arranged marriages. And basically you wanted to make sure that the marriage went through, even if the bride was ugly, which is like, cool, cool, cool. Uh, there was also an influx of money in the middle class at this time. So people started to use the wedding as a way to sort of show off their wealth and status. So pretty much like watching an episode of say yes to the dress when they go into Kleinfels and they're like, there's no budget unlimited. And I'm like, 
will what? get to say yes to the dress because oh, I good. Act, I don't have any actual details on it. I just watched a lot of it on YouTube this week. Oh my god, yes. It's it, it's absurd. It's fucking absurd. It's so wild to me. I can't. Um wedding season also becomes more of a thing in the Victorian era. So I mentioned earlier that like May was their bathing year or month or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> their yearly bathing month and yes. June was like when people were at their quote cleanest. But in Victorian times, the infer like the traditions and beliefs of like ancient Rome and ancient Egypt had kind of come back into play. And so people were like super fascinated by this. So because the name June was in representation of the Roman goddess Juno, who was said to bring prosperity and joy to couples uh, who were married in June, they actually wanted to get married in that season. So it wasn't even about weather. It was like the name of it. By 1880, weddings could start to be as late as 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Wow. That's crazy late. This is also the time period where we see the phrase used or like the little poem of something old, something new. So the okay. actual the actual poem, whatever, limerick, I don't know what the fuck this is. Saying, words, yeah. The words are, quote, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, and a sixpence in her shoe. So okay. I low-key panicked because I sure as fuck didn't have a sixpence in my shoes. Yeah, you fucked up. Curse. I did fuck up. This is it. Eric, I'm so sorry. You could do it's it at the next wedding because of this. You know what? You're right. I'll just I'll fix my mistake. I will have a sixpence in my shoe. So what does that mean? So basically, this like rhyme. That's what it is. It's a rhyme. Yep. <laughs> like what yep, am I that- calling it? I'm like oh yeah, rhyme. Um. So something old symbolizes the bride's pa- the bride to be's past, her family and her values, and it can be a piece of jewelry or a similar token. A bride something new might be a gift from the groom or her family, and it represents this new chapter in the bride's life that's full of good fortune and happiness. Something borrowed might be a bridal accessory lent by a friend or family member who themselves is happily married to ensure that the bride's marriage is just as happy as theirs. And something blue represents purity, faithfulness, and modesty, projecting these values into the future marriage and could come from the form of a blue ribbon or a brooch, which is the only one I hate. And blue's my favorite yeah. color. So I'm kind of bummed about that. But the other ones Fair. I like, I think that's actually really nice. Um, so basically if you have a six pens in your shoe or you could sew it into the bride's dress, it would basically promise lasting wealth for the couple. So I've really fucked up with not having one. Ooh, yeah, you did. I really missed out on something. So, I mean, that's like most of the, like the history history. Now this stuff is like, I mean, like I said, there was just so much shit. So I kind of just like simplified it between the 1900s and 1970s. Weddings were pretty simple. You have weddings that were during the weekdays. A reception was totally optional. It like wasn't that big of a deal depending on how much money you had and how much like status you had. If your wedding was a, you know, a huge deal, it was not only, um, pronounced, but it was also like celebrated. And, you know, if you, again, if you had a lot of money, typically you had, um, fancier clothing, you had elaborate celebrations, the styles of the dresses change. I straight up don't think anybody really gives a shit about that kind of stuff. So I was kind of like, mm, I'm not going to really talk about it. But yeah. the one thing I saw that was different is that the honeymoon and the home took precedent over like the party itself. So rather than spending a shit ton of money on the rings and the over the top reception, couples typically spent their money on elaborate honeymoons and then built their homes and lives together. Um, so, you know, again, that varies too based on what's happening in the world. So yeah. 
1930s, you've got the Depression. 1940s, you have the, you know, World War II. So there's a lot of change in how weddings traditionally looked. Mm -hmm. But by the time you hit the 1970s, um, that's where we start to see a more, like, quote, this is how weddings work. Mm -hmm. Um, So many wedding dresses in the 70s reflected the 60s clothing of this, like, eclectic, flowy nature. Um, We also see this whole, like, women's feminist movement rise up in the seventies. So women wore like white pantsuits as bridal wear to their weddings, which was like a big fucking deal. Yeah. You have like uh natural faces of makeup and like headpieces or flower crowns that encircle the crown of the brown, uh, Brown's bride's head. Venues started to be used in the sense of like, you weren't necessarily just getting married in your um, parents' home or your church or having the celebration in like a church basement. Before this, weddings were pretty much held in the backyard, like I said, but actually in the 70s, it starts to see a dramatic rise in like nuptials held in open air locations. And another thing I thought was interesting was men's fashion changed in the 70s a lot. So this is where we start to see the popularity of disco and this like white suit for men. So men started to wear white suits in the 70s. And this is also where like the fad of couples taking dance lessons before getting married in order to show off their moves at the reception took place, which I thought was interesting. That is. And for the most part, like I said, the seventies had a lot of like the second wave feminism. Um, their bridal wear was like a little bit looser, more revealing. They started to remove the word obey and customary wedding vows. And so the seventies is kind of where I'm going to stop for now because some of the stuff that you have is going to be a direct impact on like, what weddings are looking like from the 80s and on. Yeah. So originally I was going to talk about some like most famous weddings in history here. But every time I Googled like famous weddings or iconic weddings or anything like that, it gave me a bunch of weddings I had like never heard of. Sometimes I knew who the people were, but they could not conjure an image. And this may be a personal thing. The only ones where I was like, yes, I know that wedding were basically royal weddings. Which, even Mm -hmm. from history, you can see, like, Victoria's was a big deal. Those are, like, the weddings. And so what I ended up doing is instead of looking for the most famous weddings, I looked for the most expensive weddings in history. Nice. Um, And so I found lists that adjusted them for inflation, so it's a little bit more fair. Oh, God. And the first one, I mean, this is probably the most iconic wedding, as well as the most expensive wedding in history, um, is Charles and Diana's wedding. So most expensive wedding in history adjusted for inflation. Yes. Wow. Um, Adjusted for inflation. They spent $110 million. Holy shit. Yes. Now, one thing I'll say, and this will come up in all three of the, the royal weddings I'm going to talk about. A very large portion is often spent on security. Oh. Um, that's not as true for Charles and Diana's. I mean, they still spent like a million dollars on security, but portion wise, it's not that much. Right. Um, right. But so a lot of it, yeah, a lot of their expenses aren't the wedding itself. It's like the the fact that two million people are standing on the street outside the wedding and having to yes. deal with that is paying for like mm-hmm. country stuff. But it was still a hundred and ten million dollar wedding. It was forty one million at the time. Um, so adjusted for inflation. I did not do that math, so I'm just trusting what I read on the internet. Yeah. Um, but it was still, I, I mean, an extremely ornate wedding. So there was like twenty seven wedding cakes. Including oh their main cake was five feet tall. Um, and they made... Just because there were so many people there? Yes. 
And what I learned is they had a duplicate of every cake, like in the back, in case something happened to one of the cakes. Oh my God. There was a duplicate of every single cake, um, which I'm like, just put those cakes out for people to eat. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. That's cool as hell, though. Let them eat cake. There's so much fucking cake. That's, that's, awesome. yeah. I love cake. Yeah. I ice cream cake. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah. And so that is, that was Charles and Diana's. Actually, the second most expensive wedding in history is not a royal wedding. This was the only really? one in like the top that wasn't royal. And it was these people I've never heard of named Venetia Mittal and Amit Bhatia. Her father is some like billionaire steel magnate guy who I've never heard of, but is rich as fuck. And so in 2005, they spent $60 million on their wedding. God, but what? the fuck could you possibly i mean i mean it was the it was like every invitation was mailed out in a box that was like made of pure silver and it contained like all expenses paid for the trip and like this whole crazy thing so that was actually the second most expensive baller yeah with or without inflation well not without because charles and diana's was 110 with but like flat rate wise it cost more than any royal wedding has um just for these like people no one has and ever when did fucking her. 2005. Okay. Are they still uh, married? <laughs> that's a good question. I didn't see if they were still married or not. Probably not. So interesting. <laughs> that's where my bias yeah, comes right. in. I'm like, probably I like not. I read something that was like, and this is totally conjecture. I don't know if this is real, but it was like, yeah. um, the more money couples spend on their wedding. Yes. Like, no, I read that a few times. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But, like, but I mean, the if, less likely it is for the marriage to last long term or something. Yes. Like that. But this wedding, it's like, so it was a five-day-long traditional Indian ceremony. They got sent these silver boxes. They flew in a 1,000 people on, like, private jets from India to Paris. They all stayed at this, like, hotel where all the rooms were booked. So, like, accommodations alone cost $2 million. They were all given access to a snack bar 24 hours. The entire How do you ever go to another wedding. You after don't going to this wedding. I'd be the, like, no, I'm I'm actually done with weddings. Thank you. Right. The entire first floor was converted into a beauty salon with complimentary hairdressers and makeup artists. So they were like, no one is going to show up looking janky to my wedding. <laughs> Excuse me, ma'am. Uh, did you get your hair done by the stylist we provided? Yeah. This I'm is sorry. I can't let you into this wedding if you haven't. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Yep. Meanwhile, I'm here like fucking flipping out because I'm like, oh my god, am I going to be able to pay for my bridesmaids to get fake eyelashes or not? Like, right? The treat I can give them, like, that's fucking absurd. Yeah, and that's the weird thing within here is there's other weddings that are speculated to have cost around this much, right? But we don't know. A lot of them are royals in other countries who don't disclose that, right? So, like, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia at one point allegedly had a wedding that cost maybe this much, but we just don't know. Um, whereas like the Royals disclose it, the British Royals. Do they have to disclose it? I don't know if they have to disclose it or they just do to like seem nice. Yeah. Let's see. Do the Royals have to disclose cost <laughs> of wedding? Cause otherwise I, I feel like they if, should not. <laughs> right. If any of it is like in the, it's like government money. Yeah. And a lot of it, the non-private elements are so like, Okay. The ceremony, the security, the the outside stuff, that's all taxpayer money. But, like, the private ceremony later. um, Yeah, like like the party that Oprah went to when Meghan and Harry got married. Exactly. The dresses, that type of thing they all pay for. 
Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, but after, cool. so after that random couple, we get back to the royal weddings. And what's interesting is Will and Kate, their wedding cost $34 million. So their wedding, like even without inflation, cost less than Charles and Diana's wedding. Wow. But I mean, it was pretty, you know, ornate. It's one of those things like there was $800,000 worth of flowers. What the fuck? But again, in this case, the security, so they spent $34 million on this wedding. $32 million of it was security. So basically their wedding was only $4 million. $2 million. No, $2 million. $2 million. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. They spent $32 million on security? Yes. And one of the things I thought was really interesting is the jump between that and Diana. And I have to imagine a lot of it comes from like how crazy press stuff got after Diana. Right? Like how obsessed people were with her and therefore with her children who are like these crazy famous people. And so like that huge jump that, that, you know, she spent $600,000 of 41 million on security. They spent 32 of 34 million. So again, everything else was still very expensive, right? Her dress was like $400,000. They had like an $80,000 cake. Like it's not as if they were frugal otherwise, but I feel like it's kind of a scare tactic number. They're like, 34 million. Almost all of it was security. Wow. That's Um, intense. Yeah. But that was obviously kind of the most recent, like, iconic wedding, probably. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm, like, royal obsessed. But I remember everyone, like, stayed up to watch it. And her dress, like, influenced all the dress trends. So it was kind of, like, the next iteration of Diana's, where Diana's was, like, everyone wanted to dress like hers. It was the big fairy tale moment. Kate's became, like, the heartbreaking (laughs) it really is it's really fucking sad i literally wrote i was like they got divorced but it was worth it for me emotionally (laughs) (laughs) dude i remember when she died i don't i remember coming downstairs i we lived in a a split level home and what was it 97 or something like that 96 maybe 97 downstairs yeah and i came downstairs and my mom was like really sad on the couch and I was like, is everything okay? And she's like, a princess in, in England just died and it was very sad. And I was like, Aww. no, <laughs> see, I don't <laughs> I think the car accident. Like I remember it on TV. Like, damn, I don't remember it. I don't know if my family just like didn't care or what, but now I care very much. Yeah. Oh, I'm so stoked when we do like a series on them. That Oh yeah. Cool as hell. Yes. Um, so you had Will and Kate. So that was, you know, within the last 10 years, 34 million. And then Harry and Meghan. So they spent 42 million. And okay. like Will and Kate, 94% of that was for security. So yeah, probably like, all against Meghan's fucking family. Exactly. Um, and this is considered a lot less iconic, um, probably for reasons that have to do with racism, because mm-hmm. people preferred Kate. And, like, part of it is there, Kate was British, Megan isn't British, there's some element of that. They're both right. commoners, but people are stupid, we love Megan, we will not be taking criticism at this time, except... I stand Megan. Except for that, I will argue, Megan's dress was boring. You know, it was, but honestly, that's my shit. Like, it was so simple, and I was just like, yeah. Like, that, yeah. that to me, is, is my style. It's yeah, I like, did not care for it, but you do you. Yeah. Um, but so all of the like most expensive weddings ever are these royal weddings, but it also seems kind of like a trick because 
they're not actually paying f- that much for the wedding. It's just that the entire event costs that much. So right. I would bet like that Venetia Mattal billionaire's daughter spent way more per head and per item on her wedding than the Royals. She just right. didn't have to pay for like the kind of intense security that they did mm-hmm. because no one cares yeah. about her wedding, you know, to right. like come or do the, anything. The amount of people who give a shit are way less. Right, exactly. Like, I'm sure they had some security because, like, all these rich people are there with their stuff, but it wasn't right. the entire, like, army from Britain or whatever Yeah, taking care of them. And so I kind of ended up conflating most famous and most expensive weddings because, in my opinion, they all just end up the royal weddings. Um, even That's the, fair, though. Yeah, even the only other one that came up a lot that I was like, oh, I know this wedding was Grace Kelly. Who, I don't know shit about that wedding, but I keep hearing about like every time I read. I know her, her I dress is what it is. I can picture her that. dress, and that's partially Kate's wedding dress was modeled after Grace Kelly's. But that was another like commoner marrying a royal, right? They aren't the core royal family, but she was marrying a royal, and so oh, like would she marry? Oh, some dude. What's what's his name? Is he English? I don't think he was English. Let's see, Monaco. Okay. Okay. Oh, wow. um, that is really similar to Kate's. Yeah. And like hers is said to have been modeled after Grace Kelly's because that was the like iconic commoner marrying a royal person wedding. Um, oh, but she really. Wore a second wedding dress for her yeah. ceremony. Oh, it's, yep. it was like a blush pink. Oh, that's so pretty. I know. But everyone else, I was just like, I've never heard of this wedding. Like, even if I know who the people are, I was right. just like, I don't, I can't conjure an image of this. I don't accept that it's iconic. Um, what was that? Um, Oh shit! The Jonas brother, his wedding oh, was crazy. Um, Priyanka, yeah, yes, yes. yeah. That, that wedding was crazy. That was crazy, yeah. But it's also interesting to me that, like, even when we're focusing on America, the royal weddings are still like the weddings, right. and people don't really care. Like some of the ones that came up are like Jackie Kennedy and JFK. They had a very nice, fancy wedding, mm-hmm. but I've never heard anyone like, "I want a dress that looks like Jackie O's," right? Um, right. <laughs> or like. One of the most expensive weddings that came up a little bit after these is Chelsea Clinton's. Um, Okay. But I was like, we're not going there. But her husband was like a hedge fund guy or something. So like, he's also rich as fuck. Um, There's like a different level of wealth, I think, with the royals. Yes. Also because I don't think we have, we don't have anything like that because we don't have a royal family. We don't. I have a hypothesis. I'm like, I want to go back to school and write a thesis on this. That our equivalent of the royal family is the Kardashians. Not because I like the Kardashians as much or like think they're the same, but that they function in our society the way the royal family functions in the UK. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I could definitely see where you could argue that. Yes, that's my thesis. Although the Kardashians, like, what the fuck do they do? Right, they don't do that much. They're really rich. They're, like, very, they set a lot of the trends and things like Mm -hmm. that. They kind of just represent values in a way. Like, I am fine. But, um, But anyway, the point is the royals are, the royals aren't great. Like, should the monarchy be dismantled and the people have power? Yes. Do I love the royals? Also, yes. But it's not even really like the monarchy has a lot of power. No, like, they just get a lot of money. Into them, they get a lot of money. I think that's the issue. With yeah. Them. Yeah. They get a lot of money they don't need, but I also love them in my heart place. Yeah. No, definitely. They're cool so, as fuck. Yeah. So that was my tangent on most famous weddings was actually just me talking about the royals. But they are like the biggest trendsetters in weddings, basically. 
Yeah, I mean, literally everything that you said actually plays perfectly into the last, like, little bit of my, quote, historical segment of Western weddings. Okay, So, basically, when Diana gets married in 1981, 81, yeah. Yeah. um, She is, like, the style icon, like you said. Like, everybody wanted to have dresses like her. So, basically. Which is funny because her dress now is, like, fugly. But at the time. I was just going to say. I was literally just going to say, but if you've ever looked at, like, wedding dresses from people in the 80s and you're like bad what the fuck am i looking at like this is circa like um my big fat greek wedding vibes have you yes yeah when she like looks like the abominable snowman and she's like joking about it she got yes everywhere that's literally what people wanted they wanted big puffy sleeves and frills and hemlines like with lace around the cuffs and like brides wanted ball gowns and they didn't want like a sleeker fit like they had in the 60s and 70s they wanted something like you know like huge yep. um pretty much there the, was the thing that literally diana like the little carriage she took to the wedding they didn't think to account for the size of her dress and it like almost didn't fit in the carriage and so she was just completely surrounded by her dress for the whole like 45 minute ride yeah i've seen pictures of that like yeah how uncomfortable that must have been oh too. no like and you have to do this by yourself and you're like low-key freaking out oh my god i literally can't do you watch the crown I haven't, but I kind of want to now because Diana's on it. Probably should. Diana's about to be on it, and I'm, like, kind of stoked about it. I'm, like, I'm going to have to catch up on this. The woman who plays the queen in these seasons is fucking perfect. She's Olivia Coleman, right? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. That's it. But, yeah, so pretty much the way I could just describe 1980s weddings is big. This is when we start to see weddings get bigger and bigger, not just, like, with the dresses, but literally just, like, the weddings themselves. So we don't really have elopements or destination weddings just yet. That's going to happen more in the 90s. So the 80s follow a very traditional flow. You go to your ceremony held at your religious venue, and then you go to the reception hall, which might be in a nearby ballroom, or this is when we start to see the creation of reception halls. And then the party atmosphere of the wedding celebrations picks up with the popularity of live bands, lively dancing, um, food, a lot of alcohol. This is when we start to see more like rowdy interpretations of traditions past. So like the whole garter teeth, like person puts it on the person who catches the bouquet kind of thing. Um, yeah. And then like everything about like 80s weddings pretty much just gets bigger and bigger. So bouquets of flowers. And I thought this was really funny. So in order to add a quote, playful element to the reception, many brides and grooms elected to use balloons in various decor aspects, including archways and stage markers. Like (laughs) I, I keep thinking of Brooklyn nine, nine when captain Holt gets the balloon arch made. Yes. Like obsessed with it. Do you know what I'm talking about? And he's like, yes. Magnificent. magnificent. (laughs) That's what I'm picturing. So yes, this was like balloons, confetti, um, videography begins as a business and video cameras become more accessible. So professionals start to record the moments that couples are getting married, um, wedding tapes, going to each table and like sharing something about the couple and wishing them well, stuff like that. The nineties kind of goes back a little bit to a more simple time. So this is like what I was saying before. It's kind of up and down. So the nineties, it's like, minimalistic design concepts quote is like how one of the bridal websites I was looking at explained it. So it was like a quote, simplicity of slinky, sexier sheath gown in silk. And there was a rise in popularity of like cloned dresses for the bridesmaid, everything being like quote unquote matchy matchy. So like everyone Mm -hmm. had the same hair, everyone had the same makeup. Um, And then the venues, this is actually when we start to see the rise in chic elopements. So 
people like doing just like small destination wedding ceremonies with yeah. like, just their close relatives or friends. Typically elopements were basically for like unconventional couples before the 90s. So like teenagers or young pregnant couples or people who were like in their third or fourth or second or whatever marriages. But now people were starting to elope and it kind of simplified. The other problem that happens in the 90s is not really a problem, but it is a problem, is the creation and the release of 90s movies that are centered around weddings. Okay. So because there's like a huge volume of related movies like Father of the Bride and My Best Friend's Wedding, Mm -hmm. or you have Monica and Chandler getting married in Friends, like that shit, the whole wedding industry blows up after this. And this is when it starts to actually become its own business, which I know you're going to talk about. And like... It's good news and bad news for brides and grooms because there's more access to ideas and like ways to be inspired for the big day. But there's also this now like new phenomenon where it's like everything is jacked up in prices, which you'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Everything is like, oh, well, this group had this at their wedding and I saw this at this person's wedding. And it's like weddings just become this like fucking competition. You have cakes with fresh flowers like baked on top of them. And you have like bridal bouquets that are smaller, but like um the like newlyweds started to like have picture like cameras left at tables to take pictures of it and like you started to spend more money on photography and videography and music and then you start to have not just bands but DJs so like all of these like other details that really hadn't been much of a thing because Hollywood makes them a thing that's what starts to become the norm for weddings yeah 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 okay so now I'm going to talk about the modern wedding industry um it says the wedding industry today when i say today i mean pre-coronavirus um so it's kind of in the last 10 years is where like most of the numbers are coming from and Mm -hmm. so every year in the u.s there's about two and a half million weddings that occur every what every year oh my god they said every week i totally no 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 no. every year fuck is happening no every year two and a half million weddings and so in 2013 the wedding industry in the united states was estimated at about 53 billion dollars as a whole um and i'll that does not include honeymoons honeymoons are considered a separate industry so that's Mm -hmm. just the wedding industry um and historically you talked a lot about this but in addition to kind of the boom in the 90s it A lot of the things that we consider, like, traditional today actually started coming up between the 20s and the 50s. So when advertising became a big thing, they were like, oh, we can advertise wedding stuff. So, like, diamond rings are not some, like, tried tradition. It's from, like, the 30s when people wanted to sell diamonds. Mm -hmm. Right? And so kind of the 20s to the 50s are considered when it started becoming a little bit of what it is today. And then it really took off around the 90s. You can actually see old Macy's catalogs yes. of wedding rings, which is actually really freaking cool. Maybe I'll yeah. put it on the Instagram post because it's pretty crazy to see. Yeah, that'll be fun. Um, so I got a bunch of numbers on like the average cost of weddings. Part of it, it's highly dependent on region, right? So any average that you get, it's like twice that high in New York City and half of that in Alaska and it's different. But the average yep. as of the last few years was about $33,000. That doesn't include the honeymoon, so that's just wedding. So rehearsal dinner through the reception, basically. Yeah. Um, I made a small list of things you could do with (laughs) $33,000. I don't want to hear it because that's literally basically where I'm at with my wedding part two. Well, you could have opened a small bakery. God damn it. You could buy a private island in Nova Scotia. What? 
There's some How do you do that? I don't know. The internet said I could, though. All right. I'm going to talk to Eric. Yeah. Um, you could buy 165,000 disposable face masks. <laughs> oh, my God. Or you could <laughs> That's buy... That's not even that many, though. Uh, you could manufacture them, probably, for $33,000. Yeah, that's true. Um, or you could buy 10,030 Happy Meals. So those are just some quick numbers that I got on things you could do with $33,000 or the average cost of a wedding. Most of the things are real suggestions. It's like you could put a down payment on a house. You could pay off your student yeah. loans. But those were boring. So I just did the Happy Meal one. Yeah. In terms of like cost breakdowns of the average wedding, one of the things to keep in mind, you kind of mentioned markups, is that if I go to a DJ and I tell this DJ, I need you for two hours for a bar mitzvah, they're going to quote me one amount. And if I say, I need you these exact same two hours for a wedding, they're going to quote me twice as much. Yep. Like they just mark it up for no good reason other than they know you'll pay it for the wedding. Yep. So some of these prices are not even like what this actually costs. It's what it costs for a wedding. Yeah. So yeah. I found a breakdown of kind of the average order this goes in, like what costs the most versus the least. And so venue is almost always the highest. So mm -hmm. of this particular breakdown takes a $35,000 wedding and says 16,000 of that is the venue. So like, yeah, not quite half. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the next thing is usually the rings. So this lists $6,000 for like engagement ring wedding bands. I was just going to say, is that the engagement ring or uh, engagement ring or wedding band? So okay. it says engagement ring, but it's also the only place rings are listed. Yeah. Right. So I feel it like it. Ha weird. Yeah. Like sometimes like you buy an engagement ring knowing it comes with a set. Other yeah. You like find something that works and you go with it. Like I right. actually can't fathom how much people spend on rings. Like to me, that's like absurd. Yeah. So this says 6,000, 4,000 for a band. 2700 for a photographer, 2500 for floral. It just keeps going and going. I think it's interesting wedding planner is listed here as $2000, which seems low yeah. compared to some of these yeah. other things. But that's kind of like the main things people spend money on. Our venue, the rings, the band, like any performers, photographers and flowers. I think um, it's crazy that you spend money on a wedding planner. Like, if you have the money to do it, I guess it's fine. You do yeah. You want, but like, I mean, honestly, like, well, what the fuck are it, you doing? Like, if it's truly only $2,000 and I have $35,000 to spend, sure. Yeah. But I yeah. feel like that's a weirdly low estimate. It also, you're right, it is regional too. Like, a venue yeah. up in New Jersey, easily a mod, like a middle of the ground venue is like $22,000. Yeah. That's like a middle to maybe higher, but like, right. that's like, Standard. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to talk about like very fancy wedding planners too. I have a weird segment on this. Oh, yeah. But so that's kind of your average. Like I said, usually when you're doing it as an average, the actual average gets really skewed by the handful of people who spend a ton of money. If you take right. out kind of a chunk of outliers, it's usually about $10,000 lower as the national average is actually in the 20s. Okay. But it just gets very heavily skewed by the people who are spending like millions of dollars. Yeah. One thing, too, is that these numbers kind of combined everything, but if you stratify it, people usually spend twice as much on a first wedding as they do a second wedding. Mm -hmm. And because divorce rates are like 50% in the U.S., there's a good number of weddings that are subsequent weddings, and yeah. those tend to cost a lot less than your first wedding. Mm -hmm. I also learned about something called wedding insurance. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know this mm-hmm. happened, and I it was weird. Yep. Apparently, it's not super common in the U.S. There's really only, like, one main provider of it. But in the yep. U.K. and New Zealand and Australia, it's more common, where you can literally purchase wedding insurance. So it includes things like damage to your dress or the tuxedo or the venue. Um, it includes if the vendor goes bankrupt. It includes cancellation for, like, weather or injury or maybe a pandemic. I couldn't find anything either way. But So pandemics actually have not been counted. counted. That makes no. sense. So what's interesting is people have been – because believe me, I'm on all these yeah. bridal Facebook groups and people are losing their goddamn minds, which yep. is fair. We all have. Um, there's nothing – there's something called an act of God clause, which is – it's like a little ridiculous, but um, it's basically like if there's like a tornado that destroys the venue or shuts everything down so people can't come, like that's like something that they can cancel the wedding without having any extra cost to you. Yeah. Like, it's very specific with what's included in that. And I'm pretty sure that like most venues did not count for a global pandemic. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it does not include anyone calling off the wedding for any reason. So if you're like, he cheated or I just don't want to get married, none of that counts. And also what's interesting is the one company that does it in the U.S., the person who buys it has to be the person financing the wedding. So like the bride or the groom, if their parents are paying, they don't buy the insurance. The parents have to. The parents have to. Okay. Wow. Um, So I just thought that was like a weird aside. I saw wedding assurance and went down a little, little rabbit hole there. Yeah. Yeah. It's There's so much shit that you don't like think about until you're sitting there and you're like, okay, now what? And it's like, oh my God, what is all of this? Yeah. And so then a little bit destination weddings are like increasingly popular. Mm -hmm. Most people cite weather as the reason they choose this. It's just like where they're going because the most common places for destination weddings are Mexico, the Dominican Republic, Jamaica, and Hawaii. Um, You have to be like beach people. for that. Yeah. You have to be beach people basically. And there's kind of a weird dichotomy because destination weddings on one hand are considered like luxuries or luxurious, but they also tend to be more affordable at the same time, usually because they include the honeymoon, right? As part of your package, the honeymoon is wrapped Mm -hmm. in there and you save enough money on that. Um, And also because for the most part, guests pay for their own flights and things like that. I found that it's kind of traditional, like you pay for your family and the, the wedding party, Right. But everyone else would fly themselves, so you're not paying for all their accommodations. You also have to anticipate when you do that kind of shit, too. Like, you're not going to get, like, a lot of gifts sometimes. Unless you have, like, super wealthy families. But, like, most of the time you have to anticipate that, like, the presence of them being there is your, like, quote-unquote wedding gift. Yeah. Well, and one of the other things is that they're smaller. So the average number of guests at a wedding is 141. But the average number of guests at a destination wedding is 86. So you have less wow, people. Okay. So you're paying less, like if you're paying per head. Half. Yeah, mm-hmm. like if you're paying per head, that's less catering food. That's less hotel rooms, things like that. Right, okay. Um. So destination weddings are like wedding tourism, you'll see it called, come up a good bit. Mm, okay, I haven't um, seen that before. And it was interesting because I saw the weather thing, but I've always had this conception that like June is still the wedding month. It is. Well, this study that I used, this was from 2016, but the most popular months to get married are September and October based on this study. Really? Yes. And so that makes more sense if it's October, you want to go somewhere warm. 
Right, right. Okay. Is that just for destination weddings or is that for weddings? No, that's just general. So I found some like basic, what the average American wedding looks like. This is from 2016. Okay. But it breaks down that. And so it says the most popular month to get engaged is December and to get married is October or September. Yeah. You actually have to be careful when you get engaged with certain things too, because like if you get engaged around a holiday, let's say that that holiday is, I don't know, Valentine's Day or Christmas or something. Mm -hmm. If things don't go well, you can actually, like if you break it off, you can actually legally say that you're entitled to keep the wedding like engagement ring. Oh, as a gift. it was a gift. Mm -hmm. Ooh, smart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like it. (laughs) I know. That's why Eric wouldn't propose near a holiday. That's hilarious. He's like, I just want to be prepared. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know what you're going to do. Yeah. I was like, damn, he's good. Yeah. He figured it out. He, he thought proposed this through. me two years ago on Friday, October 30th. Cute. So he's like, I don't know if Halloween counts as like a holiday with gifts, but I don't think so. It's like, I don't think it does either, but I don't think for that. My grandparents' anniversary is Halloween, but other than that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's Damn, cute. This would have been a great Halloween to get married if there wasn't a fucking pandemic. Right. Full moon, Saturday night. Yep. Ugh, would have been bomb. Um, and so then I went down this uh, rabbit hole because I was Googling things like the most extra weddings is literally what I Googled. And I found this article about the 0.01% wedding planners. So this is people that are like hundreds of millionaires. Okay, I was like point zero. Yeah, it was like hundreds of millionaires, not billionaires. But there's like a small group of wedding planners, and this is basically what their job. They plan like these very high-end events for the very, very rich. Um, the main one, her name is Sarah Hollywood. Jesus, what a right? stupid name. Exactly. I wouldn't want to work with her. But she insists, she <laughs> says she thinks of herself as a wedding producer because okay. of the scale of these. I believe that. Um, Yeah. And one of the things she was talking about that was interesting is a lot of the time we think of these as like celebrity weddings, but she was like, I either all occasionally work for a celebrity, but they have to be a very, very high, like a list celebrity because she said celebrities never want to pay for anything. Right. So like kind of the middle road, she was like, when you have reality stars or people who haven't really been famous in years, they think they're going to get all this stuff for free. And they aren't willing to pay for, like, the things she wants to plan. So most of them are actually, like, moguls and, like, very rich people and their families. Oh, so we're talking, like, old money kind of shit? Yeah, old money, like that steel magnate guy. Like the Rockefellers? Yes, they mentioned the Rockefellers. Um, They even had a term where they were, like, they called them, like, fifth-generation weddings. For like old money. You kind of forget that these people fucking exist. Exactly. Right. And so she was like, you might not know the name of a lot of the people I've planned them for, but they are out there. So wait, celebrities want to get shit for free? A lot of celebrities are used to getting shit for free, I feel like, because they get stuff to do like endorsements and things like that. And so I feel like they're like, okay, well, I want to get married here and it's going to give them publicity if I get married here. So they shouldn't charge me as much for it. You know? And no, she was, you guys can fucking afford oh, yeah. Me. I mean, it's stupid. Can, like, even it out for all of us. Right. But, <laughs> but these rich people, good old Sarah Hollywood, said she doesn't even talk to the couple that much. She talks to their staff, right? She was like, I, they have staffs who know their wishes, and that's who I communicate with. Like, that's how rich and fancy all these people we've never heard of are. Wow. Um, she also does not operate within a budget. Same. Oh my God. She fuck? was like, there's negotiations they want to make sometimes that she'll try and make. But she was like, we don't really do a cap 
or anything like that. There was one incident, there was this story where someone in this position got sued because like they didn't tell her a budget, but then later they said we did give her a budget and she went way over it. And so she's just like, no, I don't do budgets. What? Can you imagine being like, okay, so the million, the flowers are going to cost two million. You're like, okay. Yeah. Like nothing. Like that's right. Okay, sure. Disgusting. One of the parts that I thought was like really crazy is most of her weddings are planned in 12 to 16 weeks. What? Well, you know what? If money not a fucking problem. exactly and that's what she was like she actually doesn't like when it's longer she prefers to keep them short she was saying because these are people who are so used to like getting what they want when they want it right now that the yep. longer they have to wait the more impatient they get and they change their mind and no they don't want this anymore now this is in mm-hmm. so she wants mm-hmm. them to be quick she said she's done them yeah. she's done one in as quick as like 18 days but when wow. money is not an object and you can go in there and say i'll pay you this much to do it right why not yeah yeah, because the reason why you have to be engaged for at least a year or two is so you can fucking afford it. Yep. Like normal and she, people, yeah. She also is not typically working alone, so they have what they called um, event designers who do, like, the actual aesthetics of the wedding. So, like, she has right. this guy, his name was Preston Bailey, which is also a douchey name, that, like, he does the flowers <laughs> and the decor, and he was saying in some cases they have built small cities for a wedding. Like... All of that is this event designer. Right. And so it's like this crazy thing. They cited that um, the average per head for what they consider a luxury wedding is three to $5,000. The Sorry, per head. Yes, to $5, per guest. Yes. Some, the That's article said 1800 and the guy Preston Bailey was like, no, no, no. It's three to 5000 to be considered luxury. And then they talked about the performers they bring in, right? So, like, instead of a cover band or a DJ, they bring in celebrities. And, I mean, they're bringing in, like, Elton John, Mariah Carey, like, celebrities. Um, And they were talking about... They were talking about how they get them and pay them, right? And they were like, it partially depends. Like, if somebody's already touring and in the area, they're willing to do it for half a million dollars. And, like, said that like it was nothing. And they're like, but if they're somewhere else and have to come away for their family, they might charge four times that. And I was just like, okay. Um, and so yeah, they were talking and they were talking about the costs associated with the celebrity performers. Like she gave an example of a wedding where John legend performed and John legend uses like a specific type of piano. So not only did they have to pay John legend, they had to bring in the right piano for him because the couple wanted it to sound like it sounded at the Grammys and to sound like it sounded at the Grammys. He needed the same piano he used at the Grammys. Shit. Meanwhile, I'm like, can somebody just press play on the Spotify song right. so I can walk down the aisle? Like, anybody? Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. No, it was. <laughs> and then the last, like, mind blowing thing they talked about was that some weddings, so like the weddings themselves, have a PR person for the wedding. Oh, yeah. I believe that. I absolutely yeah. believe that. Absolutely fucking crazy. So that was just like a weird rabbit hole I went down of like the richest of the rich people, wedding planners. But it just shows how, like, crazy the whole industry element is. Mm-hmm. And then, fucked up. Yeah. I did a little, let's see how millennials are ruining the wedding industry. Because, oh, you know, good, we're ruining yeah. everything. Because of our avocado toast and not yes. buying diamonds. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, millennials are pretty susceptible to, like, most of the wedding stuff. Um, they spend more than, like, counterparts and all that. But one of the big things I read a lot about was millennials get married later in life. And they're mm-hmm. more likely to have lived together prior to marriage. Definitely. So what a, what has changed a ton is actually wedding registries. 
because wedding registries have historically been all the stuff you need to start your life together, right? You put your pots and pans, you put like sheets, you put China, whatever. But now people have all that stuff. Yeah. So it tends to include either like very personal interests. So the article I was reading was talking about doing like REI or something like that, that if you're outdoorsy, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Yep. Um, or it could be the idea of the honey fund where it's like crowdfunding for your honeymoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had a lot of friends do that where I give like $30 and it's like, okay, you go to this one dinner in Spain when you're there. Yes. Or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's become a lot more popular with millennials, yeah. as well as charities as part of a registry. So, like... Yeah, I've seen a lot of charities with um, favors as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, that seemed to be, like, the biggest millennial difference from a lot of what I found, is that they're ch- the registries are operating differently. Um, and then there was also wedding planners. When they talked to wedding planners and vendors and asked them the difference... One of the big things they said was that with millennials, they're more likely to engage with the bride and the groom both. So not just the bride, but also not than the parent, not as much as the parents in the past. So wedding yeah. planners were saying you would plan with the parents and now they're maybe involved, but they're not your main customer anymore. Well, because a lot of times like parents don't necessarily still give the same way that they used to. Exactly. Like, they're not always paying. Or it's not they, their responsibility. To right. Do, the money like, saved went to college because people are waiting to get married, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I would, if my mom was like, yeah, I have money saved for your wedding. I'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Write me a check. Yeah. <laughs> give me that now. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that would weird me out. I mean, my mom would never do that. So that's why it would weird me out. But right, right. I don't want that. <laughs> Um, and then the my rest- dad has four daughters, so he's always been like, just letting you know, I can't pay for your yeah. wedding. Yeah, I'll buy you. Ca- I'll you. buy the cake. Bye. And we've all been like, that's fine, Dad. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I know. So I've watched a lot of Say Yes to the Dress, and the thing that always pisses me off when I watch Say Yes to the Dress. Oh God, I know what you're gonna say. Yeah, it's like how beholden everyone is to what their parents want. It yeah. annoys me so much. Yep. I'm like, I literally mm-hmm. don't care if you hate it. You don't even have to be here. Nobody asked you. Um, but and then it's like, well, they're paying. And I'm like, but that's not like that shouldn't be a thing they hold over your head. So you have to do what they want. So I, I would, the only thing that's fair is like if you are paying for the venue and there are a couple guests that you want yes. to invite as the parent, I'm totally behind that. Like, but I can't fathom, like, I've seen some of these brides that are like, I'm paying for the wedding, and my mom just gave me a list of 50 people she wants invited. I'd be like, okay, cough up the fucking hundred right if you're paying that, and like, you have certain people you want to come that mm-hmm. is fair but not yeah. i'm paying so you can't wear a strapless dress because i don't like it fuck y'all right 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 i also hate on say yes to the dress when they're like there's no budget and then the woman's like okay this dress is fifty thousand, and the dad's like i don't know and it's like you shouldn't say right there's no budget yes if there's a fucking budget if like, the budget's thirty thousand, say that also don't try on dresses Oh my god, never try on a dress above your price range. Ever. It's fucking common sense. Never. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) The other big thing with millennials is basically the internet. Um, So the couple big things there are like wedding hashtags are now this huge thing. And Mm -hmm. partially it's like a fun milestone, right? It's one of the first things people do after they get engaged. But it also creates like a digital album. Yes. Right. You can mm-hmm. click the hashtag and if it's unique, you can go in and find like what everyone is posting. I came up with mine before we even got engaged. Actually. What was yours? <laughs> hashtag he Werner over because his last name is Werner. Cute. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yep. And then a little bit about like so much more DIY, just because you have access to the internet where you can Google. Yep. Um, and so there's a lot more DIY, both in terms of the wedding itself and in terms of like compiling footage and pictures and things like yeah. that. But at For the sure. same time, I expected that to go and say like, well, wedding videographers are less common because you can get videos or pictures from phones. But it was nope. like, oh no, now everyone wants a videographer to make them like a wedding trailer for Instagram. It's it's unfucking real, Sarah. Like some of the things, actually, our wedding, our videographers are phenomenal. They're expensive, but they're totally worth it because I see yeah. what they produce. And Eric watched because he was like not sold on a videographer, and we watched one of their examples, and he was like, "Where'd this come from?" And I was like, "Eric, they made it." He's like, "This looks like a fucking like movie," and I was like, "Yeah, yeah. He's like, no, they're good." I'm like, "The company made it, Eric. That's what we're paying for." He's like, "Holy shit, I didn't realize." Like, it's yeah. intense. Yeah, yeah, they can be intense. Um, so that's how millennials are out here fucking up the wedding industry. And then I read a few kind of predictions about like what coronavirus is going to do to the wedding industry. Because obviously for this year, it's basically like dismantled it, right? You can't have a big mm-hmm. event. You don't have a caterer. But what it's going to look like, you know, five years in the future. And so I read an article that had a lot of interviews with women who were like, you know, I planned this, I had a spreadsheet and every single thing, and then it couldn't happen. And there's actually like a very small number of people who are outright canceling their wedding until further notice. Yeah. Most mm-hmm. everyone is doing what you did and just having like a downsized wedding. And maybe they'll have mm-hmm. another one in the future. Maybe they won't, but they're just downsizing. And so it led to a lot of like, quote, reevaluating priorities right? Yeah. People saying like, well, now I know what's important is the people that are there and not like if I have a million orchids or blah, blah, blah. But basically it's causing a lot of fear in the industry where they're like, oh shit, they're all going to figure out this is a sham. And they like, don't actually have to spend $3,000 on flowers. And what Mm -hmm. are we going to do? So there's kind of fear that it's not going to bounce back in the same way, just because people have figured out that you don't need all of that for a wedding. And so I, I read some like panic from some of these the more of the regular like the industry vendors. people, right? Like good old Sarah Hollywood is going to be fine. There's right, always going right. to be super rich people who want like a big branded wedding, but yeah, like mm-hmm. florists and um, DJs and venues and things like that. They were like, shit, what if people don't want this anymore? It breaks my heart for small businesses, but also at the same time, it's like, sometimes it like when you hear things about like how inflated shit is. Yeah. It's a wedding is like, it's good for so like society. Yeah. Yeah. And I think true, like, too, like, if I honestly, and I've said this before, I said this to Eric, and I knew this was going to happen when we decided to cancel our wedding this year and move it to next year in May. I was like, I know that on the the day after we get married, I'm going to wake up and I'm not going to give a shit about getting married next year. Yeah. But I know that I'm going to want to do it because I have a huge family. I had so many text messages and calls like, we can't wait to celebrate with you next year. And and it's heartbreaking because it's like that, that like, I'm a... I'm part of a close family and Eric's got a huge fun family also. And like, you don't want to miss out on that like experience, but like when it's like over and done with it's, it is just like, yeah, what matters is the people who are there and it doesn't matter like what food was served and like, how did you have a photo booth and like flowers and centerpieces and cocktail hour and shit. Like it literally just matters that like two people got married the way that they, you know, wanted to be. And that was it. Right. And so I think people are maybe figuring that out and that's scaring the people who make money off of the belief that it has to be some big fancy occasion. Absolutely. So that's what I've got on the wedding industry today. If you want to be annoyed, um, there's lots of say yes to the dress on YouTube. 
Yes, there is so much. And it's always everywhere all the time. You could Google it. You could watch it on on demand. Um, So I'm going to close out with some really fun and weird European wedding superstitions. Because I thought it might be fun to just kind of do a couple good things and a couple bad things. So what do you want first, bad or good? Um, Let's do bad first. Cool. All right. So first off, marrying in a church near an uncovered open grave leads to bad luck. And I just want to say, of course it fucking does. I'm sorry. Whether I'm like excited about my wedding venue or not, you think I want to be looking at a fucking open grave? Yeah, no. No. It's bad luck for the bride, this is so crazy, to look at herself in the mirror after she's dressed in her bridal wear, but can be counteracted by the addition of another accessory after this. So basically, you can't look at yourself until you're jacked up. You do look at yourself. No, you can't look at yourself at all when you are jacked up. And then. If you look and you're like, oh, shit, this is oh. you have to add something to it so that way you don't actually know what you look like completely. Okay. Stupid, but okay. But, come on. That's ridiculous. I'm, I will be looking at myself. Thank you. Yeah, for real. All I did was stare at myself because I was like, does this look good enough? Like, come on. Um, this one's fun. If you are a bridesmaid who stumbles walking to the altar, you will never get married. <laughs> okay. Pressure's that would be me. That explains a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So according to an old wives' tale, if the younger of two sisters marries before the older, the older sister must dance barefoot at the wedding or she will never get married. Because there's like literally nothing worse than that. No, no worse fate. Uh, this one I thought was weird because of how much it's like done. So giving a couple a knife or a set of knives for their wedding gift is bad luck because huh. it signifies a broken relationship. But I can't tell you how many times have you seen like yeah, like a nice block. On a wedding register. Yeah, like a nice right? nice block or whatever. Right. Um let's see. Okay, so according to an excerpt from uh, issue 295 of Notes and Queries entitled Wedding Superstitions, if one walks from the church with a man, they will never be wed. As they, quote, have walked back from church together before they are married, they will never walk back from church together as man and wife, quote. So I can't imagine how frequently that fucking happens. Very specific. So that's the bad luck stuff. Good luck stuff. You'll love this one. If a cat sneezes on the eve of the wedding, it's a sign of good luck. I mean, surely a cat sneezes somewhere every day. It has to. It has to. So I guess then all weddings are good. Wednesday is the luckiest day to marry, and Saturday is the unluckiest, which is the complete opposite of everything that you have in the wedding industry today. Yeah. So there's this old English rhyme that says, Monday for health, Tuesday for wealth, Wednesday best of all, Thursday for losses, Friday for crosses, Saturday for no luck at all. What about Sunday? Sunday, you can't get married, man. That's the Lord's Day. The Lord's supposed to be involved in my marriage. Nah, bro. Okay. The Lord gets his own day. Okay. That's what I think. I don't actually know. It didn't say that anywhere. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right, but. Uh, Finding a spider on the wedding dress is said to be good luck, which is not in my fucking book because I would literally be like, we're done. It's not happening. Um, All right. So there's a lot of things having to do with throwing shit at the bride and groom. So... You sprinkle the bride with wheat or rice, which can bring fruitfulness and, I guess, fertility. Okay. Uh, you can ensure a good fortune by throwing coins over the heads of the bride and groom. Ow. Which, again, you're throwing money at them. But that sounds like I'm it would hurt. Uh, thank you. I thought so, too. This is another one. I can't fucking believe it. They throw dollar bills at me, at least. Right. It is good luck to throw shoes overhead the newlyweds. Nope. What? Why? What's good about that? What if you get hit with the fucking shoe? Right. That's not good luck. 
<sighs> so, and then the last thing is like the fourth finger of the left hand is the ring finger because it was believed that an artery ran from here to the heart, ensuring love, which is not true, but it's still no. kind of romantic and people. Yes, it. it's still like a cute reason. Oh, and also you can save crumbs from the wedding cake to ensure marriage in the future, which seems <laughs> like excessive. Fair. Like I mean, people just usually say the, the wedding pa- cake and they're like, oh, like guests for them to get married. Yes. Kind of like yes. the bouquet. Yes. Yeah, guests like run to the wedding cake and they're like, give me the crumbs because they want to get married. That's weird. My grandma steals cookies from things, though. That's like her, that's her old lady uh, thing. That's fine. She like takes them and wraps them in an apple. It's not because she thinks it's going to help her get married. Right, right. No. <laughs> she's been married for over 50 years. So, so she she's good. Perfectly fine. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's the history of Western weddings slash weddings part one, question mark? Yeah, question mark, we think. So, yeah, I mean, next week, next time we talk about this, we'll definitely do a lot more, like, traditions, like, elsewhere outside of Europe. But I think, yeah. like, there's just so much here that it would be a good way to kind of, like, get it out of the way. And then next time we can focus a lot more on stuff that is unique and we can actually maybe learn more about other cultures as opposed to just worrying about the West. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that's uh, that's weddings, friends. If that's you, uh, all, folks. If you're looking for wedding venues, just make sure there's no open graves near Mm -hmm. you. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to What the History Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at WTHistoryPod. You're also welcome to email us at whatthehistorypodcast at gmail.com with topic suggestions or questions. Please subscribe to the podcast so that upcoming episodes show up in your feed and we will talk to you soon.